0: all right well good morning it's so good to see all of you again i hope you are doing well having a wonderful weekend Uh, we are in the middle of our series on the parables uh, of jesus and this morning we're going to look at a parable known as the parable of the wedding feast found in matthew chapter 22 so if you want to turn there now you can we'll get there in a minute just to give you some some context of of this parable we we find ourselves in the the latter part of Jesus' ministry, the the tail end of his time here on earth. And and tension between Jesus and the religious leaders, primarily the Pharisees, have have really escalated. And they're kind of at a a tipping point. The Pharisees have intensified their efforts to to try to undermine and sabotage Jesus' ministry. They're constantly monitoring his whereabouts. They're tailing him. They're publicly questioning him, challenging him, critiquing him, criticizing him and even slandering him. At the same time, Jesus isn't, he isn't backing down. If anything, he's increased his, his, his clarity in terms of proclaiming his identity and his authority, especially over, over them. In fact, Jesus had just entered Jerusalem as king, accepting the praise and the worship of anyone and everyone as they laid down their cloaks and they praised him, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus would then walk into the the temple marketplace which was overseen by these religious leaders and he would publicly humiliate them, rebuke their their way, the system and structure that they had established by flipping over the tables and chasing out the vendors and the money changers. And it's in in this context that Jesus would tell this parable. Jesus would return to the temple a day after Begin to teach, and the Pharisees would approach him and once again begin challenging and questioning his authority. And as people have gathered around, Jesus would then go off in terms of give off a series of parables that would, in a sense, put these religious leaders on blast, but at the same time offer hope and comfort to to everyone else who was genuinely seeking to, to understand. And what's what we'll see in our parable this morning as well. So beginning with verse one, says Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited, that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and and calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized the servants mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. So a lot to unpack here. But what gets communicated pretty clearly here is the the father's heart. The father who, who... is the king who represents God in, in this parable. And there's two things I want to highlight that we see about this father, about God's heart. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is, is like a king who prepares a wedding feast for his son, the prince a celebration, a festival, which was oftentimes a week long. And when the celebration and this festival is ready, the king gathers some of his servants and he says, go tell those who were invited, the ones who got to save the dates, who got the invitation, who expressed interest in attending, who RSVP'd yes, the ones who the king assumed would show up, go tell those people that the wedding is about to begin to stop what they're doing, to pack their bags, to come with to this celebration and to this festival. Yet for whatever reason, those who had been invited, they they refused to go. So this time, the the king gathers another group of of servants and messengers, and he says, go to those invited and tell them the wedding banquet is ready, but give them this personal message for me. Tell them dinner is is ready. The best meats have been prepared. I just took them out of the smoker, off the grill. Only thing we're waiting for is you. And once again, those invited, they, they refuse to go. So some go off to their field. Some go back to their businesses. In other words, they come up with some excuse like, Oh, it's just a really bad time. Things are busy at work. i got to go check on my rental property. It's March Madness. i got a lot on the line. It's a really bad time. I, uh, I, I can't go. And it says others, they actually grab the servants and they mistreat them and they kill them. Perhaps they were just irritated, annoyed. Perhaps they didn't like being told what to do. They didn't like to feel hurried or rushed. But for whatever reason, they, they killed them. The king is upset. He gets wind of this, dispatches some of his troops, destroys the murderers, burn down their city. The king then gathers together a third wave of servants and messengers. And this time he says, go out into my kingdom. Go up and down every single street. Check every street corner, every back alley, anywhere that people might be and invite everyone and anyone, both the bad, which literally means the wicked, the evil, and the good. So these servants, they go out. They go up and down every single street, check every corner, every alley. They pass out an invitation to every single person they can find. They tell them about the king. They tell them about the son. They tell them about this wedding feast. Pack your bags. Stop what you're doing. Come with and some of those people, regardless of whether they had PTO, time off, regardless of how busy they are, stop what they're doing. Pack up their backs, and they go to this wedding feast. And the hall, the, the palace, the castle, the, the mansion is packed with guests, both the bad and the good. While the guests are enjoying cocktails or herbs, waiting for the celebration to begin, the king is strolling through the wedding hall when he notices someone not in proper wedding attire. He asks the individual friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Jesus says the man is speechless. King calls over some bouncers. They grab the individual, tie him foot in hand, place him outside where there is darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. A lot to unpack here. And what we see in the Father's heart, in God's heart, what Jesus is communicating, right, he's that like, this is a father, this is a king who, one, desires to bless all people. Right? God desires to bless all people. Right? He's a God who sends out his messengers up and down every single street to anyone and everyone to invite them to this wedding feast, to experience his blessings and his provision. And Jesus portrays this king um, as, as a humble king. You can almost sense a kind of excitement, a kind of eagerness, almost a giddiness for his people to come to this feast. Jesus paints a picture of a king who's who's strolling through all of the preparations, right? He's just double-checking to make sure everything's in place, checking the decor, sampling the meat, tasting the wine, checking on the cake, counting all the donuts. It's my version. There's donuts there, right? Donuts upon donuts, Checking the dance floor, make verifying the playlist, double checking the guest rooms, feeling confident that his guests are going to be blown away and amazed by this celebration. It makes me think of, of giving you know a present to, to a child. Right? A present that, that you know that they're gonna love. And just waiting and watching for that reaction. That kind of humility and excitement to, to bless his people. And with that humility, there's also a moment of vulnerability. Right? It makes me think of times when you know, you have to host an event. I think we've all hosted, you know, maybe having friends come over, family come over, maybe you're hosting a small group, whatever whatever it might be. You know, there's times when, you know, I'm here and getting ready for our college young adult group. And you know, you're just making sure like, the snack table is good and you know, the extravagant display of Little Caesars and Costco cookies and chips. And you, know, you make sure the icebreaker is all ready to go and you got the game planned and the, the lesson, you know, the, the chair and the stand, everything on the computer is good to go. And you know, as the clock is about to get to 7 o'clock, I, you know, you, you, there's just that moment where you're just kind of sitting in that uncertainty, right? like, are people going to show up? You know, are they going to come on time? Are they going to come late? Will they enjoy this time? Right? Jesus is painting a picture of a king who goes to great lengths to prepare this feast and who is humble to even sit in that moment of uncertainty of how those invited will respond. Right? And the key idea is that after all this preparation, there is an invitation, there's not a summon. There's not an executive order. It's not martial law where everyone needs to come. People are not threatened or forced, which wouldn't have been uncommon for a king to do for an event such as that. There is merely an invitation. Right? Because blessing cannot be forced. Right? It has to be wanted. It has to be accepted, received. And on one hand, this is a, a jab to the religious leaders. What Jesus is communicating to the religious leaders is that you knew this day would one day come. You've known that one day God would usher in his kingdom. He would send a Messiah, a Savior. And now that it's here, you are refusing to come. And this would be a statement not only against these leaders, but on, on Israel as a whole. Highlighting just their their inability and their unwillingness to fully trust God. To put God first. To to recognize that what he's doing is far greater, far better than anything else. Right? Just in case these religious leaders aren't getting the point, a few verses later in the very next chapter he would tell them a little bit more clear. 23.13 he would say, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. A few verses later in verse 37, he would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. This would be a jab to these religious leaders. But it would also be a message of hope and a message of comfort and a grace to everyone else who is genuinely seeking and wanting to listen and understand. It's interesting that in this parable, the king refers to those who did not attend as those who did not deserve. To come. They are the ones who did not deserve to come, or they were the ones who were unworthy to come. And it's an interesting choice of words. Right? It would have made sense if the king said, The ones who didn't attend, they are the ones who are going to miss out. Right? They're going to regret this. They're bad. They're lost. It would have made sense if he said, You know what? They did is disrespectful, it's rude. It's hurtful. It's kind of offensive. But instead, he says they did not deserve to come. And at first glance, it's hard not to think that it sounds a little petty. Right? Like if I were to invite Matt to to come mountain biking and he said no, and I'd be like, that's because he did not deserve (laughs) to come. You were not worthy. Right? Like, interesting choice of words. But you see, what Jesus is clearly communicating, what he's saying to everyone who is willing to, to really listen and understand, is that the ones who are worthy, the ones who are deserving to enter into the kingdom, are not the ones who merely receive the invitation. They are the ones who accept the invitation. The ones who are deserving are not the ones who merely know about the kingdom, have heard about the kingdom, have expressed interest in the kingdom, RSVP'd yes to the kingdom, made reservations to one day check out the kingdom. It's the ones who are willing to stop what they're doing, leave everything behind, and choose to enter the kingdom. Both the bad, the wicked, the evil, and the good. Right? Jesus would sum up this parable in verse 14. He'd say, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, none of this is coincidence. This isn't about an A-list and a B-list. This is about, in all of God's sovereignty, God choosing those. Whom he desires to, to enter into his kingdom. That the ones who enter the kingdom are the ones that he has chosen to enter the kingdom. And the ones that he has chosen to enter the kingdom are the ones who choose to enter his kingdom. Now, the, how that simultaneously works together at the same time is another sermon for uh, another day. But God has chosen those who he desires to enter the kingdom, and they're the ones who choose. To enter his kingdom, we see a God who desires to bless all people, and at the same time, what we see in this parable is a a father, a king, who desires to honor his son. Right, that God desires to honor and glorify Jesus. Right, all of the planning, all of the preparation. All of the provisions, the celebration, the excitement, it's first and foremost to honor and celebrate his son. And thus all of the blessing, all of the provision, all of the joy, all of the delight can be experienced only through the son, because of the son, for the son. This is a father that wants to see his son loved praised, celebrated, magnified. There's a part of this parable where the king is walking through the banquet hall and he stumbles upon a guest who is not in proper wedding attire. The king asks the man, how did you get in here without your wedding clothes? And Jesus said the man was speechless. And what Jesus implies, by this man being speechless, is that he is without excuse. right? There's no question, there's no confusion, there's no like, uh, he knows he's guilty. And he he goes without putting up a fight. And what Jesus is insinuating is that every other guest who's there is in proper wedding attire. That this is an individual who should have been in wedding clothes. And thus, this isn't a case of him not knowing that, you know, knowing about the wedding attire. It's not a case of not having the wedding attire. It's not an issue of him not being able to afford it. But this is a case of this individual, this man, choosing to show up without the proper wedding attire, which is ultimately a reflection of his attitude and his heart and his posture towards the son. Now this is a man who came to the festivity, who came to the banquet, who was excited about the buffet and the open bar and the donuts and the dancing, but did not come to honor and celebrate the son. And the father has this person removed, places them outside with everyone else who did not choose to attend, out into the darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, this would be a warning to many people in that crowd. Many of them who just a chapter earlier, a day earlier, was out on the streets praising Jesus as their next king, Laying their cloaks on the ground, placing palm branches, singing Hosanna in the highest, a a term of adoration. (laughs) Who will then just a few days later shout out, crucify him when he did not meet their expectations and their desires for a king. You see, God desires to bless all people, yet he desires to honor and glorify his son. And as loving and as gracious as he is, he is a God who does not beg. He is a God who does not settle for bare minimum desires to honor and glorify His Son. This parable for us this morning, as well as for those 2,000 years ago, is both a word of comfort as well as a word of, of caution. That this is a reminder of the invitation that has been extended for everyone and anyone to enter the kingdom of God, to receive the gift of salvation, to experience God's blessing and his provision this lifetime for the rest of eternity. That he is a God who has gone to great lengths, a God who will send his messengers up and down every single street, every street corner, every alley, to the ends of the earth to invite everyone, the bad and the good, to receive his gift not because we deserve it, not because we've done anything to earn it, not because of who we are or what we've accomplished, but because of who Jesus is. Because what Jesus has accomplished, his life, his death, his resurrection, that regardless of our sin and our brokenness, regardless of our mistakes and our failures, regardless of our weaknesses and our flaws, regardless of whether we are good or bad. Our value and our worth before God is not based on what we've done or what we do, but based on who Jesus is, what he has done for us and what he desires to do for us. Maybe there's some of us in the room this morning that just need to be reminded of that. That God's favor and his delight and his love and his joy for you is based on your faith in him and your faith alone. This is the kind of grace, the kind of mercy, the kind of humility that our God has for each and every single one of us. This is a parable that is meant to give comfort to those who are listening. But it's also a parable that is meant to, to be a word of caution to those who are listening. Right? It's a reminder of the invitation we have to first and foremost surrender everything in order to follow Jesus. To embrace Jesus, to trust Jesus, to prioritize Jesus, to submit to Jesus, listen to Jesus, seek Jesus... Strive to obey Jesus. To consider, as the, the early listeners would have done, to consider who we are in this story. Right? Which character in this parable we most relate to. Like, Are we one of the individuals who are at the feast right now in our wedding attire, enjoying the cocktails, your derbs, enjoying the celebration? Or or is it possible that we might be one of the individuals who are too preoccupied with, with work, career, money, possessions, comfort, security? Maybe we have every intention on going eventually. But right now, we're, we're, we're too consumed with what's in front of us. Could we be like those individuals who, who get defensive? Maybe even get annoyed, irritated when anyone might suggest that we should do more or, or be more. Is it possible that we might be like the, the individual who has shown up without the proper wedding attire? Maybe we like things about church, and community, and the people, and the children's program, and the kids' program, but if we're honest, we're we're not sure how we truly feel about Jesus himself. See, Jesus had this uncanny ability to get his listeners to consider where they were spiritually, Where they stood in relationship to him without telling him to consider where they are spiritually and to consider where they stood in relationship with him. To be able to ponder this without any sense of pressure, any sense of obligation, any kind of guilt or judgment. And I want to give us some space this morning to consider the same question. To consider where we are spiritually, where we stand in relationship to Jesus, not because I'm telling you to consider where you are spiritually, but because Jesus once told a story 2,000 years ago to get us to consider where we are spiritually. To ask ourselves the question, do we live this life for Jesus? Are we committed and devoted to honoring him and glorifying him? Right, that as we take inventory of our life, as we kind of examine how we use our time and our energy, we consider our relationships, as we consider our inner life, is it obvious to us, is it obvious to others that we are living for Jesus? I'd say for a moment, you just consider your, 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 your quiet times, your devotionals, and in quiet times, it's not everything. We know that. Small part of your spiritual life. But as you consider that, that, that time to just spend time with Jesus, to get to know him, to, to seek him, to listen to him, as you consider that part of your life, is Jesus a priority when it comes to that part of your life? Or as you consider just your relationship to church, God's body, Jesus' body here on earth. Did you consider being here every Sunday, worshiping him, committing yourselves to other believers, using your gifts to serve, giving generosity. As you consider that part of your life, and church is not everything, but as you consider that part of your life, is Jesus a priority? As you consider things like evangelism and mission, sharing the gospel with people who've never heard. In that part of your life, and evangelism isn't everything, but in that part of your life, is, is Jesus a priority? When it comes to our relationships with people, when it comes to our calling to extend love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, in relationships, that's not everything. But as we consider that part of our life, is Jesus a priority in that part of our life? When it comes to our inner life, our thoughts, how we, we speak to people or about people, how we treat others. And that's not everything. Because we consider that part of our life is Jesus a priority. And we're not suggesting that we need to be perfect in every aspect of our life. We all fall short somewhere, some way, some, somehow. right? But if we begin to consider the different areas of our life, And if we begin to recognize that Jesus doesn't seem to be a priority in a significant amount of our life, then we really have to wrestle with the question, right? Is Jesus a priority in our life? Are we truly living this life for him? Because it's one thing to theologically believe that Jesus is worthy of our lives. It's another thing to actually live our lives as if Jesus is worthy. In a few moments, the the worship team is going to come forward and just give us some space to to just be with Jesus and to consider this question. And for those who were listening to this parable 2,000 years ago, they could consider this question of where they were spiritually and how they felt about Jesus. They can consider it without any sense of guilt, any sense of pressure, any sense of obligation or judgment, because in that moment, the invitation was still open. Right at any moment, they could turn to Jesus. At any moment, they could just leave whatever they were doing and commit themselves, devote themselves to entering into God's kingdom, to receiving the gift of salvation and just following Jesus. I'm going to follow that guy. I'm going to listen to that guy. I'm going to seek that guy. I'm going to trust that guy. I'm going to do everything I can to obey that guy. And I'm going to receive whatever that guy wants to, to give me at any moment. They can do that. You know, the same is true for us even in this moment. a 2,000 years later, the invitation is still open. That Jesus is, is in our midst. It, through the Holy Spirit. Saying, come. Come enter my kingdom. At any point, we can just commit ourselves. Make the decision today. I'm gonna follow you. Maybe there are some of us this morning who've never placed their trust in Jesus. And this is an opportunity if you if you want to, if you feel led, if you to just say, Jesus, I want to receive that gift of salvation and I want to get to know you and I commit myself to following you. Maybe there are some of us who, who just recognize that we've been distant for a while. That maybe, you know, we we do enjoy some things about church and our faith, but things with Jesus have, you know, he's been on the back burner and maybe we've taken him for granted and maybe he isn't a priority. It's just an opportunity today to just tell him, if you want. Jesus, I I recommit my life to you. I don't want you to to get my leftovers. I want to live for you, give you my best. I want to trust you and just, I want to receive all the blessings, all the provisions you have for me. Maybe there are some of us who are just struggling because life's just been tough. We're going through challenges right now and we are committed to following Jesus, but it's just been hard. Maybe we just need to tell Jesus, Jesus, we need help. We need your Holy Spirit to, to give us more faith, to give us more passion, to help us trust you and follow you. And Maybe there's some of us, we're at the feast. We're like, it's awesome we can just thank God and praise him for the invitation, for accepting and loving people like us. You know, regardless of where you are, we want to just give you this time to just sit with Jesus and to tell him how you feel. As we go into a time of worship, you feel led to, to sing and praise and worship by all means. But if you just need some time to just sit, time to just to reflect and just be with God. Please take as much time as you need. Don't feel pressured, obligated to sing or stand when everyone else sings or stands. This is a time for us just to be with Jesus and to consider this invitation that he is extending to each and every one of us this morning. Let me pray for our time.